Mama, do it. I remember my kids saying this as a teacher or a grandparent tried to help them tie a shoe or zip a sweatshirt. There was a time when only I could tend and mend in their young eyes. We are past that stage now as independence grows. I can't make everything better anymore, but I haven't lost the desire to be a fixer of things. And that is why therapists will remind us to listen and acknowledge another's thoughts and feelings before offering advice on how to fix what someone else is dealing with. We like to fix because we are affirmed by what we can do and we're called intelligent and helpful when we have tactics for solving challenges. But what about the times when there's not a solution or a clever workaround, when the only way forward is to sit in our own pain or to stay present with someone in theirs? How do we grow our capacity to be compassionate, to empathize, to notice, to listen, to wait? As you have heard, Matthew's passion story does not pen many words on the actual murder of Jesus. Matthew writes, he was crucified. There is, though, a lot of detail about those who were at the cross. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, you who could destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and then we will believe. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now if he wants it, for he said, I am God's son. And even the rebels who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. Those nearby could not have compassion for Jesus. They looked to the one who willingly took on this suffering as weak. If this is truly God, he would save himself. And just when I begin to point the finger to judge those who are mentioned in the story, I realize that is me too. How often I judge silently in my head or under my breath. Just do a little better, work harder, brush it off, and get back into life. Pastor Kristen just weeks ago in a sermon talked about a colleague she knew with depression, and it was those in her church who said, pray more and God will heal you. Try harder and you will get better. It is so hard not to judge 
It is hard to imagine someone else's story. It is hard to stay present in suffering when things are messy and they slow down the productivity of life. Jesus' last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words Jesus spoken, words to God spoken aloud to a world that doesn't seem to care either, a world where it's easier to terrorize than to tend. Why would God suffer and die for a world that does not seem concerned about growing the capacity to love or be present? Bethany Ringdahl is a ministry leader at the International Association for Refugees, and she shared this message in her recent newsletter called Shared Heartbreak. Bethany writes, last week I met with my friend Tamrat, a scholar and faith leader and an asylum seeker currently living at Jonathan House. We complained together about the cold spell here in Minnesota and made a bit of small talk, but his eyes looked tired. I asked how he was doing and because he comes from a deeply communal culture, how his family back home was managing. Among my displaced friends, questions like this don't often receive a full answer. How am I doing? How is my family? Where to start? Does this person really want to hear my heartbreak? What will it cost me to bring those feelings to the surface? That day, however, Tamrat chose to share a bit of his experience with me. His family is managing, he said, as well as anyone can in a war-torn and economically distressed country. But his wife was sick with something mysterious, one more stressor that he couldn't do anything to alleviate. And his asylum case? Still no answer. It has been many months since Tamrat completed the final stage of his long legal process, and now he checks the mail every day, waiting for the news that will either open a door to long-term safety or send him back into harm's way. The government agencies can't tell him when the answer will come. Maybe it will be tomorrow or still months away. The wait and the uncertainty are torture, he tells me. Tamarat expressed a kind of despair I've heard before in my asylum-seeking friends. Sometimes I think it would be better off if I had died there. At least I would have been with my family. Tamarat has young kids, and Bethany writes, so do I. I try to imagine what it would be like to be apart from them for years, for my children to be in harm's way, for there to be nothing I can do to protect them. I don't even like being away from them for a few days. I try to imagine, and I can't. I tell Tamrat that I'm sorry he's going through this. I wish there was more I could do, and he replies, all of you at Jonathan House share in my heartbreak. That really means something to me. Bethany continues, I think again, of Simeon's prophecy to Mary in Luke's gospel, a sword will pierce your own soul too. God spoke these words to me when I was first called into this ministry, she writes, to love those who suffer. God said is to open yourself to suffering also. 
I pray that God would grow my capacity to share in the heartbreak and that I would learn to do so in healthy and holy ways. I am learning. I can't solve Tamrat's suffering. I can't even understand it, but I can witness it. I can lift it to God who sees and hears and cares for both of us. I can allow the sword to pierce my soul. End of reading. The story of Good Friday is the ending for most of the world that day, but it was the beginning for God. God's love so great that not even a forsaking, deriding world could end the relationship. A new story was being written, although no one could know what lay behind the darkened sky as Jesus hung dead and everyone who judged just walked away. There is no getting to resurrection without the cross. And that is why we read this story and we linger here tonight. That is why this service ends in silence and darkness with a tomb sealed and seemingly no hope for tomorrow. And we wonder, is this it? Jesus' last cry that even God had forsaken him? The world can't fix what the world did to Jesus. Is there any hope? For Matthew, even the earth splits and the rocks tear in two in anguish. And even in Golgotha, the place of death, the centurion and those with him who were meant to be there to keep watch over Jesus to ensure he died, saw the earthquake and what took place, and they were terrified and they said, truly, this man was God's son. Who knows how the witness of Jesus' death impacted the centurion and his faith, but it was enough for him to confess that night. His heart shifted like the plates of the earth. His heart was pierced. And then there are the women who stayed and witnessed through Jesus' life and through his death who follow the body as it is taken down. They watch as it was wrapped carefully in linen and laid in a tomb. It will be the same women who will come again as they prepare the spices to anoint Jesus' body. We too will come to hear that human death will be conquered because of this night by nothing we can do on our own. Divine love seems so absent in this story, but it's quietly present. In Jesus' presence, revealing love up to the very end, revealed in the witness of women who cannot fix or undo or solve, but they still stay in love. Death is not the end because of Jesus' death. And at this cross, we are forgiven and called each day to both receive and reveal divine love as we stay present in our own suffering 
and in the suffering of others. Staying present instead of fixing does not come naturally. But as we witness Jesus' death, our hearts are pierced. And we are called to witness to Jesus' love. A love that will stay through this night and in time bring the world to Easter's dawn. Even when the world and me and you cannot stay or fix, God's love abides. Amen.